Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Hey guys, um, it's such a joy to be joining you at Westminster Chapel. Thank you for, for having me, for giving me this, this time to share with you. And on such a, a great topic, uh, singleness in the city, um, massive issue for, for so many of us. And one, whether we're single or married, that all of us need to understand because what God has to say about singleness, he wants all of his people to understand we we need each other we're meant to be a family and so particularly for those of you who might not be single thank you for for listening and uh, kind of dialing into this as well um i want to think about uh, three main things uh during this time i want to think about the purpose of singleness the challenge of singleness and the balance of singleness and how jesus helps us with all of those things so I'm just going to start straight off with the the purpose of singleness. Um, a number of years ago, I ran into someone I hadn't seen for probably about 10 years. And uh, when I had last seen her, she had teenage kids. So as we were catching up, I said to her, hey, what are your kids up to now? They were teenagers then. They must be in their kind of late 20s now. And she said, um, yep, one of them's married. The other one's engaged. So they're both sorted. And uh, I thought about that for a moment sorted they're both sorted and i thought well i'm single i'm not married I'm not engaged what does that make me am i unsorted and it's so easy for for people to think of of singles as being kind of loose ends unfinished business we're, we're christians who've yet to fully graduate <laughs> into the sort of more mature Christian stage of being married we've not yet fulfilled the kind of purpose the real purpose the ultimate purpose of our Christian lives if we are remaining unmarried that may be a very common way to think in uh, churches today um, in much of the Christian world it's actually not how the Bible thinks um, we're going to spend a fair bit of time in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 if you want to grab um, a hold of that or look it up um, 1 Corinthians 7 verse 7 I'll read from verse six. Paul says to the unmarried and the widows. Um, sorry, verse six. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am. OK, uh, Paul was single when he wrote this. He's saying there's a sense in which I wish everyone was single like I am. Uh, we'll get to some of why that might be. There's a sense in which it's, it's actually better to be single. Um I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. In other words, Paul is saying, listen, it would be great in some senses if if 
everyone was single. But God has given everyone their own gift. Some people have been given the gift of marriage. Some people have been given the gift of singleness. And the big point here is that God knows what he's doing. Um, God has a master plan. Um, and marriage and singleness are both good gifts from God. And there are times during the, the kind of history of the church when we've we've got the balance of that wrong. There are times, I think, you know, in, in the in the past when we have, as Christians, really elevated the gift of singleness and implied that, you know, the real Christians are the single ones and anyone who gets married is kind of, you know, weaker and compromised and more worldly and all that kind of thing. Um, today, we're more likely to, to swing that in the other direction again and to think that actually singleness is the sort of the one that is lacking and, and marriage is the one that's the, the kind of real sign of, of Christian growth. Um, but the point is, Paul wants us to know both are gifts, both are good. So whether we are married or single, we are getting to receive something good from God. If we are single and we're desiring marriage, it's a, it's a good thing to be desiring marriage. Marriage is a good thing to desire. But we do need to know that both of them are gifts. And here's the thing, they're not just gifts in some generalized, non-specific, abstract sense. Paul says that they're gifts from God. Um, and God is, God is amazing at giving gifts. Um, I just had a birthday a few days ago. <clears throat> and, you know, any, any gift I get given, I'm, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, I'm grateful to receive. Um, I, I do have one or two family, friends, relatives who love to give me a gift, Christmas and birthday, amazing, super thankful for that, but who don't really know what I like or what I need. And so it might be a book about something I have zero interest in, or it might be something that I just would never use or never desire to have. Um, and so I'll, I'll thank them genuinely and I might pass it on to someone else or a local charity shop or something like that. Uh, we don't have that issue with God. Uh, the problem with other people who give us gifts that we may not like is normally it's because they just don't know us that well. They don't know our circumstances. They don't know what we're into. They don't know what our needs are. But God always does. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He loves us more than we love ourselves. He's more committed to our ultimate joy than than even we are. So... We don't need to wonder whether God has got us the wrong gift. Um, so if you find yourself single and you've always wanted to be married and it's not seeming to work out, don't think there's been some cosmic mistake. Now, God may still have marriage for you in the future. Um, who knows? But if we find ourselves having singleness as a gift now and, and not liking it, one of the things we need to keep telling ourselves is, God knows what he's doing. Uh, he's, he's good at this. Um, this gift, whether it's the one we would have chosen or not, is part of the means God has given us to live for him right now. Um, just a bit later on in the chapter, in verse, um, verse 32, um, Paul says, um, actually, I'll back, I'll back this up to verse um, 28. Paul says, again, talking about marriage and singleness, he says, if you do marry, you have not sinned. Okay, now that 
we may think, whoop, well done, Paul, thanks for that. Um, The fact is, in the ancient world, uh, in Roman culture, women did not have the choice about whether they got married. Uh, What Paul is saying here is pretty radical, because Paul is saying, actually, every Christian has agency in this. No Christian is obligated to get married. You are not sinning by remaining unmarried. That's a big deal in the ancient world. But listen to what he says. Uh, If you marry, you've not sinned, and if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. And Paul says, along with all the joys and blessings of being married, and there are many, and Paul talks about those in other places, he does say you will have worldly troubles. Um, Not everything is going to be a walk in the park. Um, There are going to be certain challenges and pains that come with being married. Uh, you're, you're stuck with another sinner. Um, there's going to be tensions there. Um, if if kids come along, again, I, I know families who've, who've lost children um, or who've had the pain of kids walking away from the faith or marriages that have had to deal with bereavements uh, or infidelity. There are so many challenges that come with being married. And so Part of what we need to do if we're going to understand singleness in a healthy way is to recognize that marriage is not the answer to all the problems we have when we are single. It's very easy to think, well, I'm single. These are the things that are difficult. So if I got married, it would fix that and I'd be happy. Paul is saying there are ups and downs of both singleness and of marriage. And the danger is we simply compare the the ups of marriage with the downs of singleness. And Paul wants us to know there are downs of marriage. And there are ups of singleness. Um, So he says uh, in verse 35, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. There's a sense in which being single means we are less divided Uh, Life is less complicated. Verse 32, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. You're pulled in more directions if you are married. You're supposed to be. That's the way it's meant to work. But if you're single, Paul says you can be undivided in your devotion to the Lord. Uh, We're not just free from some of the, the, the troubles of married life. We're free for uncomplicated service of Jesus. So here's the thing for us. Uh, Singleness is not meant to be about what is going to make my life easier. Um, The purpose of your singleness is not to suit yourself. The purpose of your singleness isn't to think, well, it's just it's going to make my life easier if I'm not married. I, I If I don't have those commitments, I can focus more on my career. I can spend more time focusing on what I want in life. No, Paul is saying the goal of your gift of singleness is to be devoted to Jesus in ways you might not be able to be if you were married. And so if you're using your singleness primarily to serve yourself, Paul says, actually, you're misusing the gift that God has given you. Um. And here's the thing. Paul talks about undivided devotion to the Lord. Um, Paul is assuming that Jesus is big enough. Jesus is compelling enough. Jesus is beautiful enough to capture your whole heart. 
Okay, so if you see devotion to Jesus as, as being a set of hassles and, you know, these things, you've got burdens, you've got to carry along. Paul says you've not understood Jesus. You get to give Jesus your whole heart. You get to be undivided in devotion to him. Uh, you get to be captivated by him in that way and to more easily than if you were married, wrap your entire life around him and his purposes. So if undivided devotion to Jesus feels like a negative, my dear friend, you've not understood Jesus. Uh, this is someone you want to be able to give everything to. That is the purpose of singleness. Uh, next, we need to think about the challenge of singleness that flows from that. If if that is the purpose of singleness, then the challenge of singleness is, is how we deploy our singleness in a way that serves Jesus. Jesus himself said that the most important thing in life is to love God and to love your neighbour. And therefore, if we're single, we're to think, well, how can my singleness be a means of loving God and loving my neighbour? And at the very least, it means we have to be embedded in a matrix of relationships. Uh, we need to be so involved in the lives of other people, as even as a single person, that actually we become constrained, voluntarily constrained, by the needs and opportunities uh, that come from deep friendship and relationship and commitment to others. In other words, we're not meant to be lone rangers here. Um, Paul wasn't a lone ranger. We, we often imagine him to be this kind of self-contained person who just kind of ran around the ancient world planting churches and just was fine and could do all of that on his own. But Paul, if you read through his letters, Paul was so enmeshed with other people. Romans 16 reads like the end credits to the book of Romans, and so we're tempted to skip it. But actually, it shows just how much Paul was involved with other people in the work that he was doing. And that's how we're designed to be. Um, the Bible shows us you can live without sex. I know it feels like you can't, but we, we actually can. Uh, Jesus did. Paul did. Many others have done. But we're not designed to live without intimacy. Uh, that experience of being deeply known and deeply loved by other people. Jesus had that kind of intimacy. He had the 12 disciples. He had Peter, James and John, the three who he was particularly close to. We're even told that John was the disciple Jesus loved. So here's what we need to know. You can have in our world today lots and lots of sex and not be experiencing real intimacy but the flip side is also true. You can be experiencing deep intimacy that has nothing to do with sex. And indeed, we're meant to be as single people. Uh, Jesus says in John 15, verse 15, I love this verse. He says to his, his disciples, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. Why? Because everything the Father has revealed to me, I've made known to you. Jesus is saying what makes friendship friendship is disclosure. You spill the beans, you let someone in, you, they, they get to know what's really going on in life. That is what Jesus says we've got going with him. And that is what the Bible says we need in order to live a, a healthy life 
certainly in order to use our singleness well. And with that comes constraint. Uh, the more you commit yourself to other people, the more you deepen friendships, the more you constrain yourself, the less freedom you have. And the Bible says that's that's glorious. That's the way it's meant to be. Um, you cannot have community. You cannot have real intimacy without being honest, without people knowing something about what's really going on in your life, and without obligation to other people. It's what we are designed for. If we try and live just for ourselves and kind of treat other friends as if they're on a zero-hours contract kind of basis, it will just hollow us out. Uh, we need those commitments. We need those obligations. We need people who know us at our best and people who even know us at our worst. So that's the challenge of singleness. And then thirdly, we want to think about the balance of singleness because to flourish, it's not enough just to be doing our, our jobs 98% of the time or whatever it might be. And so I want to commend just one aspect of what a balanced, healthy single life might look like and involved, and that is hospitality. Maybe not a, a concept we naturally find ourselves thinking about, particularly if we're busy and we're living in in the city and all of those kinds of things. Hospitality is not entertaining people. It's not being able to, to kind of cook amazing meals. It's not having a, just a, a beautiful Instagrammable home to let people into. Um, hospitality is opening up your life to other people. Um, in Romans 12, Paul says this, um, in verse 11, he says, Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the, uh, needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Now, here's the thing. Paul tells us to seek to show hospitality. We're actually to be looking for ways to be hospitable, to, to fold others into our lives. But he puts all he puts that up there with, you know, being fervent in spirit. He puts it up there with being constant in prayer. As far as Paul is concerned, those things belong in the same category as hospitality. So if we neglect these, if we neglect something like hospitality, Paul says we're neglecting something that is that significant to our healthy Christian life. Um, spiritual health is a bit like an ecosystem. If something's going wrong in one area, it's going to affect everything else. And it may well be that some of us are not spiritually fervent and are not constant in prayer, perhaps because we're not being hospitable. These things are designed to feed off one another. So that is what we're to seek to do, not just to, you know, do it out of a sense of obligation, but to look for ways of sharing normal life with other people. We're not talking about adding more things to an already very busy lifestyle. We're simply saying, what are the things you're already doing? How can you involve other people with that? Um, it can be as dumb as, I've done this with friends before, hey, I'm getting my hair cut tomorrow morning. Do you want to come along? Do you need a haircut? I've got a couple of friends I go and get my hair cut with. Um, I know people who will... Uh, get together to do their ironing. They're like, I've got about an hour's worth of ironing to do. Why don't we get together and do it together? It sounds dumb, but here's what I've discovered. Um, 
it tends to be real life that happens in those dumb moments. That's where you actually really feel like you're sharing your life with other people. So that is the, the need for balance. We, we need to find ways of involving other people in our, our lives. And I just want to say that for all of these things, Jesus is, is the one we need to look to. Um, Paul says, again, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he says, I want you to be free from anxieties, undivided in your di de devotion to the Lord. Ultimately, Jesus is the one who takes on our anxieties. Um, he is the burden-lifting saviour. In a way that one of the consequences of his lifting burdens and anxieties from us is to give us capacity to take on the burdens and anxieties of other people. And as single people, we have an amazing opportunity to do that. Jesus, again, was the one who poured himself out into the lives of other people. He poured out his own life to the extent there was no life left in him. He poured himself out to death. But as we find ourselves receiving the life of Jesus, it makes us want to use the life and energy and vitality he gives us to serve them in, in lives of others. We think about hospitality. Um, Jesus is, is the ultimate example of hospitality. We were far away from him. We were distant from him. And yet Jesus drew us to himself. Jesus has found a way to include us in his family. He, he calls us brothers and sisters. Now, he allows us to share in what he has going on with his own father. We now get to enjoy his father as our father. He's even seated us at his table. That is hospitality. And how can we love a Jesus like that and not want to be doing that in the lives of others, drawing people in? treating them as family and having them sat at our own table. So those are just a few thoughts on, on singleness in the city. Um, I've got some questions to answer in a, in a moment or two as well. But thank you for, for listening. Thank you for giving me the, the privilege of sharing with you guys again. And um, I, hope that, uh, I hope this starts some useful discussions. God bless you. Wasn't that brilliant? So, so helpful, I think. Um, so much for us to digest and chew on. We want to respond in worship now. So if the worship band would like to come back up, that would be brilliant. Um, and just before we do sing, I want to encourage you to think about three ways that you might want to respond and then we'll stand and I'll pray. The first of those is I wonder whether you need a confidence injection in terms of your relationship status. Whether you feel that you sense, well, I'm single, I'm going to be single forever, I feel rubbish, I feel less good than those who are married, I feel unwanted, I don't feel like my, I'm sorted, uh, uh, all of that kind of stuff. I would really believe that God in these next few moments would want to give you a confidence injection so that you can walk with your head held high because your confidence is in the Lord and in his love for you that he has planned and purposed for you to be the relationship status that you are right now. And it's a good thing. It's a good gift for the season that you're in right now. It may not be forever, but for now, it's the right thing for you. And you should gain confidence about that. 
You are special in his sight. That's the first thing. The second thing might be that there's a kind of sense of misuse of your relationship status. You're abusing it in in different ways. There's loads of ways you could do that. You could be married and it's just all about you and you're all together and nobody else is involved and you're just living this happy life. And if anybody else comes into that, they feel like an awkward gooseberry and it's weird. And I don't know, that's sort of one way of abuse. And you can abuse it in ways that Sam talked about through singleness and that can be abused. So it's about repenting of our selfishness. And then how can we be selfless with the gift that we've been given? doesn't make us better or worse than anybody else, but we are in this relationship status to serve him and to serve others. So that's confidence injection. That is a moment just to repent. And then the final thing would be brave practice. The brave practice of opening up and being real with people, dropping the guard, not being superficial, being really honest and open. When people ask you, like, how are you doing? Oh, I'm okay. How are you doing, really? I'm, I'm okay. And you're not really okay. Um, we want to be open as a church with one another and find more and more people that we can just be honest with and do real life with. That's our heart. That's probably really kind of distinctive mark that we believe Westminster Chapel is called, called to have, a church of deep authenticity. So those are three ways to respond. So I invite you just to stand up. I'm going to pray. You'll know which one you need to do more or less of. And then we'll sing about the scandalous grace of God, which covers over all of this. He has blessed us with his goodness and love in ways that we don't deserve beyond our dreams. Lord, we just thank you. We help us, Lord, to enjoy our confidence being in you, in what you've done, that you love us, Lord. That's the truth that's declared over our lives that's more true than how we feel or how we think or what others say about us. You chose to die for us, to give us our worth and our value, Lord. And so we want to repent of ways that we use your good gifts for selfishness rather than selflessness. Turn that around and help us to bravely practice hospitality, opening our lives and our hearts up to one another in deep, powerful ways for your glory. Amen.
Jesus, we know that you completely satisfy us. We want to be more like you. We want to chase after your perfect example of how to be a, a human on this earth. To chase after the Father's love. To worship him, to be obedient. You are the perfect example. Thank you for your spirit that works within us every day, making us more like you. The longer we are on this earth, we, the, uh, the more we become like you. And thank you that you are merciful and there's grace for our weaknesses and our imperfections. We have you as a friend, as a saviour. Always and forever. Thank you, Jesus. fantastic it's wonderful to respond and worship together well just encourage you to sit down i'm sorry it's a bit of the sam albury sandwich rather than a hymn sandwich this morning um, but we've got part two now um the q a is coming up um it's 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 amazing so do enjoy that Well, thanks again for letting me spend this time with you, and uh, thank you in particular for the questions that you've you've put to me that I've got in front of me now, and uh, for their honesty and um, their meaningfulness. Um, it's it's healthy to be able to ask real questions about real life situations. So I'm just going to go through these and and do my best to to say something. I hope that might be useful uh, in response to each of them. So number one, how do we get over the grief of a life that could have been? If we've had to choose a life of celibacy because of circumstances, e.g. ill health, homosexuality, how do we get over the grief of an ended relationship where we hoped for a life that could now no longer be? How do we shift our joy? Um, I really appreciate that question and the, the kind of the reality behind it, uh, the, the soul searching it reflects. Um, I think I want to say first and foremost that the grief of a life that could have been is the grief that every single one of us experiences as Christians, whether we're married or single, because we all find ourselves in a fallen world. We find ourselves in the world in one sense that we weren't designed for. Um, we, we live in a world full of grief and pain and longings and yearnings, and we need the consolation of, of Christ himself. And so all of us have some sense of grieving the life that could have been. What if um, I wasn't going through this pain or disability? You know, there could be so many areas of life where we feel that very same grief. I know married people who feel that grief because they may have basically good marriages, but there's still that sense of this isn't everything I feel like it was meant to be. Um, so all of us feel that loss of what we have against what we feel like life should be about and how life should feel. So that is, there's a particular way single people ex experience that, um, but we need to recognise that it's one type of what all of us experience. And therefore, you know, we need to be people who help and console one another in those griefs. And in terms of 
getting over that grief in one sense we we don't fully we we live with it um until the new creation um but that doesn't mean that we're joyless um because all that we experience as loss now we know god will give back to us in the age to come in perfection um and so our joy now is is not the joy of simply gritting our teeth and trying to get through this it's the joy of knowing that in christ we have we have the the fullest of lives that we're meant to be we have something of that now we have that eternal life that life to the full even now with jesus alongside the continuing pains and infirmities of of life in this world but with jesus we now have something in the midst of all that that can still give us deep joy and satisfaction even as we continue to grieve second uh, how do you spot the difference on whether you are genuinely content in your singleness or you've become content because you've given up hope of finding someone contentment is not hopelessness um uh contentment in singleness is is not a form of surrender it's not a form of saying you know okay i'm just going to give up on ever being happy and i'll just have to make do with with the dregs of life that my singleness might feel like it is um here's what we need to learn how to do contentment in singleness is not trying to trick yourself into saying everything about my single life is actually really really good and therefore i can be happy contentment in our singleness is actually finding contentment in jesus as a single person so the singleness is the occasion for the contentment it's not the focus of it the focus of our contentment is jesus um he's to be how we find our contentment whether we're single or married however life is going in other words we need to find in jesus our all in all uh, we need him to be our deepest joy not our only joy there's many other things we're to take joy in he's our deepest meaning not our only meaning there are other things that are truly meaningful but he's meant to be the the superlative such that even if we lose some of those other things or those other things shift around us we don't lose our contentment because it's ultimately grounded in him and in all that we have in him i hope this helps all of these feel very incomplete answers number three how do you be content with being single but still be open to the idea of a relationship or actively seeking a relationship is it right to search for a relationship if you are content again i think so if our contentment is genuinely in jesus then we have freedom as paul says you're not sinning uh, if you get married and presumably you're not sinning by wanting to get married or pursuing or being open to it um, or searching for a relationship in the wording of of this question um where it becomes wrong is if we're seeking a relationship because we think it is the relationship that is going to be the answer to all of our problems and meet all of our emotional needs and that will be the thing that makes life finally come together and be complete that would be wrong because you you're basically idolizing a relationship um if our contentment if is in christ which is a way of saying our ultimate joy and satisfaction is only really going to be found in him then we can be trusted <laughs> 
to pursue relationships without putting a burden on those relationships they're not designed to bear. So let me just say, as someone who's been in pastoral ministry for a very long time and seen a lot of marriages and weddings, if you get into a relationship thinking that that is what is going to fulfill you, if you seek marriage thinking that is what is going to fulfill you and answer, answer your deepest needs and problems, you're going to be a nightmare to be married to, to be honest, um, because you are going to suck the life out of someone trying to make them fulfill you. And no other person is designed to do that. No other person can do that except for Jesus. So if we look for our contentment in Jesus, actually, we may still desire to be married. We may still have deep desires to be married, but it won't matter ultimately we may we get to the point where we go actually lord I'll, I'll be fine either way i may have a preference but i will be fine either way um number four if you've entered a relationship for say three weeks or something and then they tell you something quite life-changing maybe they have been divorced in the past and you weren't aware of it or they've had some other trauma when they were younger or earlier or maybe they tell you they're bisexual or maybe they tell you that they've had a child with another person what can we draw on to help us decide what to do in those moments, how to react, how to be, whether to continue the relationship? How do we wisely measure up those things? Um, these are such thoughtful questions. I, th I think the answer to that is that as we get into a new relationship, we, we try and make sure that the romantic and kind of emotional components of that relationship don't run ahead of the friendship. In other words, you know, at the beginning of a relationship, you you still don't know that person very well yet. And therefore, first and foremost, you're building a friendship um, and you want the romantic expressions and the, the kind of emotional commitments and the deepening emotional attachments to flow out of friendship, to flow out of what you are knowing about each other. The danger is that what we tend to do in our culture is we find someone we find attractive and we get all the feelings and that becomes the basis of the relationship and then we kind of hope we like each other um, as people. And it's back to front. So we've got to begin the process of disclosure and that takes time. It takes time to trust someone with some of those traumatic or, or life-changing kind of bombshells that we know we might have or that they might have. So let's try and um, build the friendship in a way that where the, the romantic side doesn't kind of rush on too far ahead. Um, you know, if you're in that situation, you're already in the relationship and then they, they drop the bombshell of whatever, whatever that is. Um, it's going to take time to figure out what that will mean, um, what that will mean for, for your friendship, what it will mean for your relationship. So I wouldn't make any snap decisions about ending the relationship. Um, continue the friendship and be open to the fact that the friendship, this may not be the friendship that becomes or should be the long-term romantic uh, relationship. Um, but, but maybe you can learn how to be a really good friend either way. Um, 
Question five, how do we as singles help each other to get a sense of belonging to a family or being part of family life? How can we do that? Again, the church is meant to be a real, tangible, non-ignorable, unmissable embodiment of that because we are a family. Um, not like a family, we are a family. And all of us, whether we are single or married, whether we have our own nuclear family already or not, all of us need to reckon with the fact that we are spiritually a family together and to, to live that out. Um, not just for the sake of the singles and because they need it, but because everyone needs it. Um, I know marriages and families that they've realized how much they needed to be part of a wider family. Um, so it, it actually, it'll help all the boats in the harbor to, to, to kind of rise up if if all of us begin to do this. And each of us can, can start simply by beginning to take initiative to, to get to know other people, to treat them as family and to open up our lives to them. Number six, um, hi Sam, thank you first and foremost for your ministry and for giving us the opportunity to send you real honest questions on the topic of singleness. My pleasure. Um, and genuinely, I, I think if we can't ask real questions of the Christian faith, then something's not right. Um, and real honest questions are a privilege to receive and to try to respond to, so thank you for them. My question is, how can single men and women shift from a mentality of seeing their own sexuality as an annoyance or evil or an enemy of their journey in, uh, of following Jesus? How can they shift from that position to a position in which they are thankful and giving glory to God through their sexuality? Is that possible? What does that look like in practical terms? I, it has to be possible because God wants us to love him with every aspect of our life. He is the one that came up with the idea of human sexuality, um, a sexual energy uh, each of us has. It was God's idea for us to have sexual energy. Now we're all having to come to terms with fallen sexuality, uh, whatever that looks like in each of our lives. It is the reality that we have to contend with. But fallen doesn't mean it's wholly discardable or it's intrinsically evil it's it's simply a good thing that is has been spoiled and tainted by sin um now here's here's the thing um ultimately in the bible as you take the bible as a whole um our sexuality is meant to be a picture of the ultimate relationship Christ will have with the church that is what human marriage is designed to point beyond itself to so our sexual energies and longings and frustrations even though they are warped and distorted by sin nevertheless remind us that there is a deeper longing within each one of us that is designed to be met by Jesus who calls himself the bridegroom. Um, those sexual longings and frustrations are a, a reminder that there is a consummation to come um, when we enter fully into our relationship with Jesus in the age to come. That that will be the ultimate consummation that all godly marital consummations are but a pale imitation of. And so we can allow our sexual feelings even though they misfire and are fallen to speak to us of 
our need for our divine bridegroom. Um, but our sexuality can, can be a an ongoing pointer in our lives to how much we need Jesus. Because however much I might desire some form of sexual fulfillment in whatever way each of us desires that, how much more does my soul desire the thing that that sexual fulfillment in the right kind of context would ultimately be pointing to? So I think I think that helps. I've written a bit more about that in my, my book on singleness and in my book, Why Does God Care Who I Sleep With? So if you want to look into that a bit more. But it means that we can see even our fallen sexuality as being something that can be pressed into helping us to love Jesus more. Um, what would you say to a single man that's trying to honour God through his sexuality and wakes up in the middle of the night after a nocturnal emission? Um, I, again, I think I'd say something similar. Um, not not to worry about the fact that that's just happened, but to um, recognise the fact that part of honouring God through our sexuality, um, this is going to be one of the outcomes of that from time to time and uh, you can talk to God about that that's that's fine in, in one sense it's nothing to be ashamed of because it's um it, it's the body adjusting to our being faithful to God and so it's part of the, the literal mess of the fact that we are um we're, we're running you know God has given us a new heart we're running new creation software but we're running it on old creation hardware, if I can put it in those terms. And this is one of the things that, that can happen as a result of that. So just recognize again that it's part of the fact that there is sexual energy within within each one of us. And if we're seeking to respond to that in a godly way, then this can be something that, that happens as an outworking of that. And therefore, we, we just have to deal with it and recognize that it's it's a it's an outcome of being obedient to Jesus and not to worry about it number eight how do we discern if marriage is not for you or to wait longer for your life partner um sometimes we we, we can't know we, we don't know whether our singleness is God telling us hey marriage really isn't for you sunshine or whether it's God saying to us hey just hang in there you know this it might happen um the best thing is not to presume that we will be married and not to presume that we won't be married um, but to to allow for God in his good sovereignty to, to give gifts as he as he wills and and to be open it's, it's not wrong to be open to, to marriage even if we're thinking it may not be realistic um, and to pray to God and say listen Lord I want to be open to you and whatever you have for me I will receive with joy and thanksgiving if that's ongoing singleness I'll receive that with joy and thanksgiving if it's marriage I'll receive that with joy and thanksgiving. Um, and in the meantime, let's let's be people who are growing in godliness so that we're people who can use our singleness well for as long as we have it. And we can be people who, if we do end up getting married, will be people who are able to use our, our marriages well. Uh, question number nine, how do we look at the concept of the one from a Christian perspective that God already sees who we will end up with before we do? Some Christians say we just choose who we are compatible with because we don't have the mind of God. Therefore, we cannot see who the best person is for us. I don't think the concept of the one is particularly healthy. I don't think we get that from the Bible. I think we get that from Nancy Meyer movies. Um, and there might be any number of people we could be really happily and healthily married to. Um, 
the one implies there's one other human being out there who was the perfect fit who will utterly complete you and make you feel fulfilled and you'll be perfect together um, in as much as that's true actually it's true of Jesus it's not true of someone else so every marriage is is actually every great marriage involves a bit of a compromise because no other person is a perfect fit for us because they're a sinner we're a sinner you know we're all incomplete um but again we, we mustn't think marriage is going to be what completes us and what kind of makes life whole it's jesus who does that so i think it's healthy just to think well there may be some people who are more suited to than others um in marriage that's that's certainly true um, but not to think of the one number 10 many people believe that singleness is the opposite of marriage as in the lack of intimacy you've said before that if marriage shows us the shape of the gospel then singleness shows us the sufficiency of it how can we as a church encourage each other as singles to live out our calling in Christ? Um, I said a bit about that in the talk, I think. Um, again, we, we, we are meant to experience intimacy. There's a depth of intimacy you get to experience if you're married. That depth of intimacy with one other person. There's a breadth of intimacy you get to experience if you're single with a whole range of people. You can have a, um, putting it in the wrong kind of language, um, you can have a, a much wider friendship portfolio if you are single than if you're married um so we, we get a different kind of intimacy if we're single people question 11 a close christian friend recently came out as gay um and he's been pursuing a homosexual lifestyle what would you like uh, i'd just like to ask what's the best way to respond with truth and grace um i think the most significant thing is to be um someone who, who listens well understands that person maybe if they're happy to share more of their story to find out how this has been for them for how long have they been aware of this what have the ups and downs been be a really good friend by understanding them well and out of that understanding will come wisdom from the lord about how best to speak to them ultimately you do need to uh, show them that pursuing a same-sex relationship will not be compatible with their with their Christianity. They're, they're either going to have to say no to Jesus or say no to that kind of relationship. Um, but I think that that's a hard thing to say, and and you need to earn the right to say it by 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 showing that you are a good friend and you're going to be with them for the long haul, irrespective. Um, thank you again for these questions. They are they're not breezy light matters um but i appreciate the honesty and the realism behind them and hope those answers have, have helped us to begin to think through some of those things and hope you can have more discussions in the in the days ahead thanks again for letting me be with you today god bless you all and hope to see you again sometime a round of applause Thanks for listening to sermon audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.